Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome you back to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us today. And I am delighted to have uh, Frank Walker with us here today to talk to us about his brand new children's book, but it's also a book that I think adults will enjoy and appreciate as well. It is called A for Appalachia. And we're gonna talk about that book today as well as Frank's career uh, as an author, as an educator, uh, as an advocate, and he's got done and, and, and has accomplished so many things. And I'm so glad to have him on the program today. Uh, he is the first African-American writer, is Frank Walker, to be named Kentucky Poet Laureate. He's an artist, a writer, and an educator who has published 11 collections of poetry, including Buffalo Dance, Expanded Edition, Masked Man, Black, Pandemic, and Protest Poems, as well as Turn Me Loose, the Unghosting of Medgar Evers, which was awarded an NAACP Image Award and the Black Caucus American Library Association Honor Award. He's the recipient of the 35th Lillian Smith Book Award, as well as the Thomas D. Clark Award for Literary Excellence, and he's also a founding member of the Afro-Latin Poets. And I'm delighted to welcome him to the program today as we talk about this outstanding new book that he has done, as well as everything else that he has been up to as a writer and educator. So Frank, welcome to the show. So glad to have you on the program today. Thank you, Elliot. It's great to be here. I wanted to ask you first uh, about this term Afrolatcha. I feel like we we've heard that pop up, you know, recently in, in recent years, and and I understand that you were one of the first people to coin that term, maybe the first person to coin that term. So, can you tell us a little bit about what that term is, what it means, and why it, why what it kind of encapsulates uh, as an idea or a concept? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I, it is a word that I invented. Uh, it's uh, it was added to the Oxford American Dictionary and. 2005, but I used the word for the first time back in 1991 after looking in the dictionary and seeing that uh, the definition of Appalachian was white residents of the mountainous regions of Appalachia. Uh, and as soon as I saw that definition, I, I wondered immediately what you were if you weren't white, uh, because that definition left out a whole lot of people. Um, so one of my challenges you know, as a writer, you know, who could not afford a therapist is to try to figure things out on the page. And I wrote a poem that evening uh, trying to resolve that dilemma um, of exclusion and end up using that word uh, Afrolatcha in a poem. Um, I took it to my writing group. We had been meeting six months and we didn't have a name for ourselves. We were just meeting uh, as writers. And as soon as I heard a new poem, they made a decision that evening to, to name ourselves the Appalachian Poets. Um, so the word's been around over three decades now. Uh, it feels like um, even longer, but in, and you know, I think it is what it sounds like, you know, and it is designed to uh, carve out some space for people left out of that original definition back in 1991. 
Yeah, very good, very good. And I wanted to ask you about uh, this new book, A is for Appalachia, and you've written so many other poetry books, award-winning poetry books. As we mentioned, you were the the first African-American poet laureate of Kentucky. What made you decide to kind of step away from poetry for a while and to decide to do a children's book around these concepts and themes? Right, well, I, I would say it's a scary thought to believe I stepped away from poetry, even for a breath of as opposed to just added another task on top of everything else I was already doing. But uh, the text in the book was actually published as a poem um, down at Shepherd University in their anthology uh, for Appalachian writers that they put out once a year in the spring. And Sylvia Sh Sherbert said, you know, Frank, this would make a great children's book. And I had never even thought about it in that way. And immediately I started imagining what that would look like. Um, made some minor edits and, and submitted it, you know, and, and a year later, you know, here we are. It, it's a children's book. Um, of course, it took more time for the illustrator to come up with 26 different images to, <laughs> to illustrate each letter in the alphabet, but uh, the work, the, the work they were done, they were there already. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, you know, collaborating on doing a children's book, which is always so interesting because, because you have the words and you have the pictures that accompany those words. How did that process work? Did, did you write the text first and then turn that over for images or did you collaborate uh, with the with the images as they were coming together? How did that work? Did, did one come before the other? or Did you kind of work in tandem uh, to put everything together? You know, I. I really respect the artists so much that I just try to stay out of the way. Um, I mean, everything he started, he's, he, I think he did 13 in one submission and then the other 13 afterwards. Uh, but everything he sent was perfect already. You know, I, I think if we had any adjustments, it was just around the font or the color of each letter in the alphabet. That's my four-year-old background. Uh, but, you know, he, he's he's amazing. In, in fact, I knew he was, not only did I know he was perfect for the for the task, uh, when they asked me at the press for a list of artists that I wanted to potentially work on the book, I only gave them one name. <laughs> and it was his. Uh, and he was so spot on. As soon as I saw the first set of images, I knew which one was the cover. And I mentioned to the press that, you know, this would make a perfect cover. And I think they wrote me back and said, well, we'll consider it. You know, we'll let the designer know that, you know, you have a preference, but, um, you know, it's really up to the designer. And the designer picked the same image. I mean, it, the cover of the book uh, is so colorful. It's, it speaks immediately. And it's so warm and, and, and inviting. I thought it was perfect for a children's book. Uh, and to communicate the energy and, and kind of excitement and vibrancy around uh, this story uh, that is trying to be communicated through this ABC Darien that, that is just a format to tell the story. Absolutely. And uh, I love the front cover, too. I, I've thought about that often, thought if I saw that that book facing out at a bookstore in a children's section, I would want to come pick that up immediately uh, just to kind of see what's that picture. Because, it, you know, for our audience that can't see the, the book itself, 
Um, I, I mean, uh, the, the, the illustrations, they're just vibrantly hued. I mean, the, the colors and the textures are wonderful. They have sort of an airbrushed feel. It kind of looks like the, the images have been airbrushed onto the page. Um, and, and you kind of have one figure or object uh, that stands out on the page opposite of your words. And then uh, there is, you know, some textured background behind it. So the image really stands out, but uh, you've got this beautiful, uh, you know, sepia toned colors in the background. I mean, it's just a gorgeous and an absolutely gorgeous book. And I wanted to ask you uh, about some of the content. And I was going to read an excerpt in just a second, one that was relative to my experience uh, growing up in Appalachia. But I love too, as people are sure. through the pages, um, you know, I love how that you've got uh, you've got advocates, celebrated advocates that are profiled in the book. You've got entertainers, you've got poets, uh, you've got a lot of famous locations and kind of event storied events that have happened as a part of uh, of Appalachian culture. How did you settle on the ones that you chose? I know we don't have time to go through all of them, but how did you settle on those particular uh, people and places and things to put into the book? Uh, how, how did you make those choices and selections? Well, you know, I'm sure that most people will open the book, you know, depending on where they live and what state, and, and make a list of things that I left out <laughs> or that should have been in the book. Um, but I was really just trying to have a nice collection, representative samples for each letter of the alphabet. Um, and I didn't have to start from scratch. You know, I've been giving talks around the region for almost 30 years, and and most of the information and the figures, the key figures, the places I, I've been to, uh, I know these individuals. And uh, they're in some of my PowerPoint presentations <laughs> when I give lectures uh, <laughs> about the region. You know, so that was, it was harder to, to narrow it down than to find people and places to include. Very good. I wanted to read one uh, excerpt and have you comment on it. As I mentioned, it kind of spoke to me um, as uh, as a native Appalachian. And, and I love how, um, you know, you have this structure, you know, A is for something, B is for something, uh, C is for something, uh, everything, every letter stands for something. But what caught my attention was uh, on, uh, on letter C, we were talking about the designs and the features. And, and over to the left, you've got the carbide lamp. Uh, which a lot of people are, are familiar with when they see it. A lot of adults especially will know what that is. And, you know, I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, and I think about Carbide, and I think about so many people I knew that worked at Carbide and so many friends whose dads worked at Carbide and that Carbide provided, you know, a livelihood and a, a middle-class uh, lifestyle for so many people uh, at one time. Uh, so that caught my attention. But I just wanted to read this and, and then have you comment on on uh, what's here and just kind of the construction of this, because this template kind of follows uh, throughout the rest of the book as well, but you put letter C. C is for coal camps, company stores, and carbine lamps, Chattanooga and the Carpet Bag Theater, Chadwick Bozeman and the Carolina Chocolate Drops, Carol Robertson and Cynthia Wesley, two more of the four. So putting those together, structuring the the, the text that way, uh, stylistically, uh, what were what were you going for there, and 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 structuring it that way, uh, what what do you hope the reader takes away as they kind of learn more about these these people, places, and events that connect to those letters? I don't know if you can hear my crying four year old in the background. Um, can you you can you hear that? Okay, good. Uh, well, what I was going for was was kind of a multifold um, 
a summary of the entire region of some things that that speak immediately to coal mining and and and, and steel mill and even uh, textile mills from the region of working class uh, opportunities of and some of the challenges that come out of the more challenged history, things that happen in Birmingham, for instance, um, you know, things that happen. Uh, there are a couple of tragedies that are not really happy moments. And some people might question if these are things to share with children, but I, I think they are. I think, you know, the the hard things and the soft things, the, the, the happy and the sad kind of give a, a full picture of the region's experience uh, for everybody in the region. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Very good. I um, wanted to ask you uh, a, a question about letter Q, kind of kind of piggybacking off what we read of letter C, because, again, I, that was so much of my experience. I had family members who were coal miners and, and people I knew worked on carbide. But when we got the letter Q, I loved the, the quilt and, and the beautiful image of the quilt that's against this peachish kind of orange backdrop. Um, but, uh, you know, you write a Q is for quarry and a quarry tub and quilts, which sometimes had secret maps for Harriet Tubman's passengers. And, and I just thought in that one little sentence there, those few fragments, those few, uh, you know, uh, clauses that are put together, it says so much about, about history and about, you know, as you were saying that the experience of, of Appalachia, can you talk about that section in Harriet Tubman and, and the quilts and, and why you wanted to put and profile her uh, in your book when you got the letter Q? Well, I mean, it, it's for me, it had not, I didn't have a chance to be an English major. I've been a history major and I'm really interested in, in our collective history, uh, American history in general, and all of it tells a whole story. And I love it when, you know, you get you get to hear, hear the word or name Harriet and nowhere else to go immediately. You know, whatever you bring to the table, whatever you know about her story, you get a little bit more. Um, you know, I think the, the, there's another page that shows a ranking house in, in Ohio that is another connection to the Underground Railroad. And that's in the under the letter R. But those stories are part of our collective history and to be able to use a book in this way that connects itself to so many other books and stories, I hope will make the book even more valuable that it won't be something viewed as an attachment or separate, but something that kind of sums up uh, our collective experience. Our guest on the program today is Frank Walker, the first African-American writer to be named Kentucky Poet Laureate. He's an artist, writer, and educator who's published 11 collections of poetry, but we're talking to him today about his brand new children's book. It's called A for Appalachia, and Frank, we'll come back to the book in just a second, but I wanted to ask you, I want to just ask you sort of a, a broad sort of Appalachian question, and then we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, your, your who you like to read and who we should be reading and now and all of that, but as you think about Appalachians, we're, you know, on on the on the you know starting another decade here we're three years almost well we are three years into another decade as you think about Appalachia um, kind of where we're going where we're headed uh, as a region as a people as a culture 
are you optimistic? Are you less optimistic than maybe you used to be? Are you more pessimistic? Where, where do you see Appalachia as, as we move into the, you know, halfway through the 2020s decade? And, and you've spent so much time in the region and you mentioned speaking and writing and teaching in this area and um, being involved with uh, so many people and different organizations and different projects throughout throughout your career and life. As you think about Appalachia now, and you think about the, the future of the region, what do you see? How do you feel about it? What do you think, uh, it, it, sort of the state of Appalachia, I guess, is what I'm asking. Where, where do you think we are uh, as a people, as a culture? How would you size it up? I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, and... One of the things I use as a barometer is is how I think about whether or not and people embrace the idea of diversity in Appalachia. Uh, the response to this children's book <laughs> has has been amazing. Uh, I think we the response was so positive. I admit I spent some time thinking I've been doing the wrong thing for 25 years and I should have been writing children's books because it's, the response has been incomparable. Of, and it's not that people hate poetry, it's that people love children. And this children's book is not only an opportunity to put a book in the hands of kids, but to read to them, to, to give gifts to grandchildren, nephews and nieces, to remember when you were a child. And Somehow this information had been hidden from me, uh, but I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity to basically tell the same story I've been telling, um, you know, that that talks one about just how how broad uh, Appalachia really is, that it actually extends from you know Mississippi and Alabama to New York State. Uh, a lot of people like to think about Central Appalachia, and that's it. Uh, but when you consider the entire stretch that is Appalachia um, and all the individuals there that make up those communities, you really get a, a not just a story uh, and an invisible place. You get what I think is is the true heart of America. I think I think Appalachia has something to offer the rest of the country. Uh, when I think about uh, the strong family values, the um, the intergenerational uh, communities that exist and how important that is. You know, I think there's a value system and a sense of right and wrong um, that this country could use. Absolutely. Um, very well said. And as you think about, um, I know you're, in addition to everything that you're involved in and everything that you do, I, I know you're an avid reader. So, what are a couple of books or who are a couple of authors that you think everybody needs to be reading right now? If they're not reading them, they should be uh, either the author or the book. What's come across your, uh, your reading list uh, in terms of books and authors that you think we all need to be checking out and, and investing some time in? You know, I, I have to go backwards and forward in time. You know, I think that um, you know, as far as contemporary authors right now, uh, Everybody should be reading Jasmine Ward and, and Silas House. Uh, if you go backwards in time, um, you know, if you don't have James Steele in your collection, then you're missing a whole bunch of books. <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, I'm always surprised have, have never heard of James Steele, uh, which is, you know, they've they've been robbed. You know, they they 
their education has been undervalued, uh, overvalued if they if they don't know James Steele. Um, but River of Earth is a seminal, you know, uh, piece of literature that should be in every classroom um, in the region and outside of the region. Um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Crystal Wilkinson, whose, you know, recent book of poetry, Perfect Black, has won everything <laughs> in poetry, it seems. And she's mostly known as a fiction writer. Her two previous collections of short stories and her first novel uh, won a bunch of awards, so she established herself as a fiction writer. But her first book of poetry, uh, Perfect Black, is a beautiful summary and extension of, of her work. And beyond that, you know, I would say the students in my classroom, you know, that's what I'm reading mostly <laughs> these days, the student work or contest, uh, or you now I'm reading for different university presses, considering publishing other books. So I get to, I get a first read of some of those to make comments and send them back. But there's some amazing work being published and put out all across the region. Uh, this is an exciting time to be a writer and even more exciting to be a reader. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, it feels like that uh, everything that we have uh, seen come out of uh, Appalachian authors and publications and publishers really uh, over the last uh, several years, but I feel like uh, post-COVID, I hate to divide things up between pre-COVID and post-COVID, but I feel like uh, post-COVID, we've just seen a tremendous amount of work from from established writers like you were talking about, Crystal Wilkinson, Silas House, Jesmyn Ward, but we've got so many new writers uh, coming on the scene uh, that that are fantastic. That uh, uh, you know, it's going to be a very good future, I think, going forward, at least on the uh, on the Appalachian literature side for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We're speaking with author Frank Walker here on Now Appalachia, talking about his new children's book. It's called A for Appalachia. And we're so glad to have him here as we continue to talk about this. And I wanted to go back to the book uh, for just a second, Frank. I wanted to ask you uh, uh, about another uh, letter that's sort of later on in the book, uh, and that is the letter S, um, uh, which kind of focuses on five scripts from the Twirled Mustache Mining Company. So in terms of a historical marker and some historical terms there, five scripts, what is that for folks that may not be familiar or forgotten what that is? But the Twirled Mustache Mining Company, what is, what is that? Well, I give all the credit for that to the, to the artist. And, you know, his challenge was to try to simulate uh, a realistic representation of what script was. Uh, and uh, most people who know script uh, might even have an example still in the household, even though it's no longer in use or no longer has value. It just, you know, for nostalgia's sake. But when coal companies uh, owned the whole town, they usually had a, a store. And instead of paying um, their employees with money all the time, sometimes they just gave them credit. And instead of having this kind of invisible credit, they gave them script. And that script could be used in the company store to purchase things. Um, you know, which is not that far away from sharecropping. Um, and it also created a system that left a lot of employees in debt because uh, they had to eat and they had to buy from the one store without competition <laughs> in the village, you know, in the, in the, in the town. Uh, so it was a very explorative system. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think the, you know, there are a number of government versions of that today. I remember, you know, 
as a, as a kid growing up using food stamps, you know, they were the same kind of thing, you know, it wasn't real money, but you could use it to barter uh, in stores to purchase things that you needed to, uh, to live with like food and water. <laughs> very good. Very good. And I know we've talked about this and kind of alluded to it some uh, during our discussion today, but I know that we talked about this being, you know, a, a book for children, uh, but also a book that adults could read uh, even on their own or with children. Um, it seems like you really wanted this book to be sort of um, uh, a book about history, tying back to what you were saying earlier about uh, being connected with American history. But you wanted this to be like a learning experience. You wanted both uh, the child and the adult or the parent and the, and the child or the grandparent and the grandchild uh, to learn something and to really have an experience together. Um, it, do, do you feel like that once a, a reader gets to kind of the last page of the book, as they close the back cover, uh, that they will feel like that they have, they've had that experience. They've learned more about Appalachia and the history and the people and the culture there. Well, that, that's my hope. And I, the way the book is designed is, is that there's a glossary in the back of the book. Um, uh, and I imagine, and I believe that most people, especially adults will turn these pages and there will be at least one thing on every page that they they will find that's brand new to them. They didn't know that information. They didn't know that name or that place. But when they turn to the glossary, they can get just a little taste of education. Uh, and now they own the information. Uh, so the idea is that, you know, in the same way that these modern animations that are one hour, two hours long, they're always filled with jokes that are meant for adults because we assume that, Kids can't drive themselves to the movies. Uh, we'll put something in there for their parents to enjoy or or, or respond to while they're sitting in the room. Uh, that's the kind of thing we thought about when we were putting this book together, is that we want this to be the kind of book that demands that somebody read it to somebody else. You know, we hope that um, adults will sit down and read it to themselves. And and not be intimidated by the information inside because it's in the form of a children's book. So it should not be intimidating. But at the same time, acknowledge that, wow, I didn't know all of this information. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, this could have been an encyclopedia, uh, but it would have taken four years to write it and to illustrate it and to buy all the rights. Uh, but if I could tell the same story and understand that this is just an opportunity to send people to find the rest of the story. All I need to do is lead them to the water uh, and hopefully they'll drink the rest. But the glossary is, is probably my favorite part of the book is, is what would happen when they think they've gotten to the end because they're at Z, a whole new thing begins in the glossary and they can go through A to Z again and learn all these details about all these individuals that they didn't know. Very good. And our final moments with you, uh, Frank, today, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to find out uh, what you're up to, both with uh, your career, your speaking engagements, with uh, the books of poetry that you've written, how can they get in contact with you and stay in contact with you for that? And also, where can they get copies of A is for Afrolatcha? Well, I'll just simply say that uh, frankxwalker.com is about as media savvy as, as I am today. I mean, I don't have uh, Instagram or um, I think I'm on Facebook, but there's all those other places that uh, I I just don't know very much about. You know, I'm too busy reading and writing books. But uh, if you go to the webpage, frankswalker.com, you could uh, 
find a link to all the books uh, as well as where to shop for them. Hopefully you'll buy them through your independent local independent bookseller. Very good. Our guest today has been uh, former Kentucky Poet Laureate Frank Walker. He is the author of luminous volumes and wonderful volumes of poetry. If you haven't checked out his poetry, uh, you really need to do so. He has written uh, 11 collections of poetry, including Buffalo Dance, uh, Masked Man, Black Pandemic and Protest Poems, and Turn Me Loose, The Unghosting of Medgar Evers, uh, and much more. Uh, that book awarded the NAACP Image Award and the Black Caucus American Library Association Honor Award. And I have a feeling that when award season comes out uh, for 2023-2024, we're going to see his brand new book at the top of the list. It's a wonderful, wonderful illustrated and written text. It's called A is for, Aprila a is for Afrolatcha. Frank Walker is the author. It was illustrated by Up From Some Dirt, as we've talked about him and the work that he has done uh, with the illustrations. So, Frank, uh, congratulations on this book. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, collection of writing and a wonderful tribute to Appalachian culture and the people uh, and the history of the region. And we wish you all the best of luck. And if you write another children's book or another poetry collection book, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I look forward to returning. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to our executive producer of the program. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate uh, all the work that she does behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible. And we appreciate the work and support that she provides. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay tuned as we have more great podcasts coming your way next. And stay tuned, and hopefully I will see you someplace soon. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.